This month's Where Did the Road Go is sponsored by six awesome individuals. Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Lindsay Trebet, and Michael Fritchie. If you want to become a patron, go to wheredotheroadgo.com. Thank all of you for your generous support and enjoy the show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have with me Suzanne Chancellor. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm great, Soraya. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, and uh, you are you are coming to us from Rhode Island. I am, and uh, you have had a lifetime of weird experiences. Indeed, <laughs> and uh, Mike actually recommended you. Yep, yep. Mike Cleland, that is, and yep. um, you were telling me that you uh, you had uh, like Tim Render and Joshua Cutchin and everyone over after a conference there, and I remember that <laughs> conference because uh, I went down there to hang out with Josh and Tim before they went to it. Seriously? Yeah. Oh my god. So that was uh, one of the times we went to Site Seven, where Tim is, and didn't get any activity. Dang. Oh right, I didn't know that. Interesting. Okay, yeah. We, well, we, we just I, we just blame Joshua. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> He's paranormal kryptonite, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually it was fun because um, we you know everybody nobody ever does anything in Rhode Island, so it was really awesome that there was going to be something here. And I had heard of Joshua before and I had never met Tim, but I thought, you know what, let's go to dinner and then let's go to my house because we live right around the corner. And I thought, you know, let's spend some spoons. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I said, yeah, have you ever done that before? So we actually sat around for maybe about an hour or so and learned the fine art of uh, bending cutlery. And how does that work? You know, it's fascinating, and anybody can do it, and you wouldn't think that you could, but basically what it entails is, um, you know, everything, matter is just what it is, and so if you focus on the actual um, fork or spoon, whatever you're holding, and realize what it is that you're holding in between your fingers, and imagine that the all of these atoms are actually spinning around and creating this matter, Right. So I, what I prompted them to do was to pay attention to the way that it's spinning and then move your fingers in that direction and kind of massage the, the area of the cutlery that you want to bend. And after a while, it just softens up and you can just bend it. It's just amazing. Hmm, okay. Try it tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's something I, I don't think I've ever tried that. I mean, I, pro I take that back. I probably tried it when I was a kid watching one of Yuri Geller's specials. Yes. Yes. Um, and of course, Amazing Randy would come on and be like, no, if you apply <laughs> enough heat to this by rubbing it really vigorously, it'll, it'll you can bend it. And it's like, but that's not what he's doing. <laughs> oh. In fact, you have to believe that you can bend it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, and it, if you think you can't bend it, it won't bend. So does is it something that people, uh, when you show people to do it, does it does their ability to do it reduce after the first time they do it? You know, I think that if you get to like, oh my gosh, this is so easy, and you don't really pay attention anymore, and you just think you can keep randomly doing it, yes. You mm. have to really take your time. You really have to, you know, pay attention to what it is that you're doing instead of just picking up trying to bend it. So definitely 
Um, it's not something that should be taken lightly. I think that you have to really pay attention to what you're doing and not get frustrated because the more frustrated you get, oh, yeah. it creates yeah. that energy. You know what I'm saying? And so it won't end. It's really fascinating. There's, uh, I know Shirley Black was talking about the um, the experiments with pinwheels, so they put them in a vacuum. Yeah. And she said that the first time someone tries to do it, once they get it going, they're all like, oh my God, I can actually do this. But then subsequent tries, they tend to have less and less success. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So you expect your expectations are that it's going to happen at will, but you ha it's a process. And I think that we have to think about our lives like that. You know, we have to be patient. Um, we can't always expect everything to happen at will. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some lesson to be learned there for sure. Now, you, you said you used to have a blog. Is it still up? It is still up. Okay. Yes. And where uh, is Random that? Alien Brain Droppings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I have a, a blog and a podcast, actually, both with the same name. Okay. And how, how long, when was the last time you entered anything into the blog? Oh, it's been a little, a few years, maybe a couple okay. years. And how long did uh, you do the podcast? Um. Um, it's since t uh, 2011. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. And you stopped when? I stopped when I started working on other projects. Oh. Um, a couple years ago, I started actually doing some editing. Um, I started working, doing editing for Mike Cleland. I edited his Messengers books and oh, okay. um, his Hidden Experience books. And now I'm actually, that's what I'm doing, um, freelance editing. So I've been working on a few other projects. So it's kind of taken me away from... The other things that are um, I'm passionate about, but I've also subsequently been writing a book, oh. which I'm also working on. So a lot of irons in the fire, per se. And is the book about your experiences? It is. Okay, cool. You shared a few of them with me, and uh, but I, 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 from what you've told me, you've had a whole lot of them. Yeah. And they yeah. they go back to how old were you when you had like the first one you're aware of? Um, I was four. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really recognize, obviously, at four, what it was that was happening at the time. Uh, I recalled these events that took place in my early childhood upon reading Whitley Strieber's Communion, which is pretty much par for the course for maybe 95% of all experiencers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and didn't you also tell me the book fell, like, on your daughter or something like that? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> What happened was I had walked into uh, the local bookstore in um, 1987. I was holding my one-year-old daughter at the time. And a lot of times when you walk into a bookstore, they have the bookshelf of all the new releases. Yeah. And so it was like facing me. And all of a sudden, I saw the cover of Communion, and I almost dropped my daughter oh, when okay. I saw the cover. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it just, I was in shock. Because I'd never seen that face before. And I'm like, who is drawing a picture of this face? I'd never seen it depicted anywhere. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's funny. Like, oh it's funny because Strieber said that doesn't actually look like the entity you dealt with, but it struck so many people. It's very true. I agree with that. But I think it wasn't exactly what it looked like to him, but there were similarities. Yeah. So I think a lot of people have had experiences with this particular gray being or not necessarily gray in this matter, it was kind of a, a kind of a brownish beige color. Yeah. But I think the variances are similar enough to where it felt familial or familiar. So, so prior to that, what was the earliest experience you remembered? Um, well, prior to that, I, I just had remembered weird things happening. 
um, strange things in my life. Like I was having all these weird synchronicities and I was having, you know, precognitive dreams Right. that um, nobody ever talked about stuff like that. Like none of my friends, you know, when I was, you know, uh, uh, in middle school and, and high school and stuff. And so I had this, I felt like I had this like secret life that I just kept <laughs> to myself. And like, I, mean, I can't talk to my mom about it. You know, I can't talk yeah. to my teachers yeah. about it or my friends. And everybody's talking about, you know, like, you know, lip gloss and, you know, football games and boys. And I'm like sitting here all weirded out about this dream I had about um, these kids getting killed in a car accident on a golf course. Yeah, tell that one. That was one of the ones you sent me. That was really interesting. Yeah, I um, I was getting ready for work. I think I was probably 16, and I was getting ready for work, and I would usually eat breakfast and read the paper when I was a weird thing to do when you're a teenager, but I did. <laughs> and uh, But we didn't have internet back then. Hello. <laughs> Right. So, so um, I'm the night before I had had this dream that there's a kind of like a Volkswagen Rabbit. I don't know if you remember that car. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and it was uh, a tan color, and it was almost like I was a silent observer of like maybe like watching a movie or something. But what I saw was this car riding in a golf course at night with there were no lights anywhere, but there was the moon was very very bright. And this car was just barreling down this hill, but the grass was really slick because it was really dewy. And it kind of fishtailed back and forth and it flipped around and got T-boned by a tree. And the driver got out of the car and the passenger on the other side didn't get out. And I, he went over to try and open the door, but it wouldn't open. And um, it turned out that it was a guy and his girlfriend and the girl had passed away. And I woke up like, oh, my God, just in shock, you know. So I yeah. get up and I go about my morning getting ready for work. And when I opened the paper, um, there was an article about these two kids in our local golf course that were joyriding in the middle of the night, T-boned a tree, and the girl died. Wow. And I went told my mom. I mean, that I did tell my mom about this. And she just looked at me. And she goes, oh, honey, that was just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one hell of a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, that is just, I mean, how can that be a coincidence? I mean, this just really happened. Yeah. I mean, if you had dreamed, oh, there was a car accident and then read that, reasonably someone might be able to say that was a coincidence. Right. For sure. But with that much uh, that much detail in the dream, yeah, that's that, there's nothing coincidental about that. You picked up yeah. on that happening. Right. Right. And at that time in my life, so I was in high school, I had had a lot of other weird dreams prior to that. But I just thought that I was a very vivid dreamer and that I had a very vivid imagination. And one of the dreams that I had was um, involving being on a spacecraft. Okay, if you can imagine that. Um, I was, I'm going to, you know, have to admit that I was very much into science fiction as a child. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know if I was into science fiction just first or was I into science fiction because of the things that were happening to me that I was trying to make sense of what, what it was. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So I gravitated towards that type of literature. So, but this dream that I had was very, very real. And what I had dreamed was that I just like woke up and I was standing in the middle of this huge room and it was like a circular room that um, had all these like cylindrical counters around of it around it that um, there were all these gray beings with their backs facing towards me and they were all working on this like counter it must have been like a 
um, I don't know if it was like, how can you say, like the controls for, for whatever it was, and like all these buttons and lights and stuff. But I was just standing there like I just blipped into this place. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? And as I see all these grays, nobody's looking at me and recognizing that I'm standing there. But when I turn all the way to the left, I saw two, uh, um, I don't know if they were humans, but they one of them had long blonde hair. So I assumed it was a girl. And she was wearing a red jumpsuit. And then there was a, a boy who was wearing a blue jumpsuit. And they seemed to be around like a teenager age. And they were the only ones that turned around to look at me. And when they did, they seemed human, but they didn't really look 100%. Like there was something weird about their face. I don't know if it's the shape of their face or the shape of their eyes. They didn't have black eyes or what have you. But they just looked at me and they turned around and kept doing what they were doing. And after that, right next to them, there was an archway. And in through this archway glided this huge, I would say, between six and seven foot tall being. And I am telling you, I don't know what it was. It kind of looked like what a gray would look like, but it had a different shaped head. It looked almost like a mantis shaped head that had bulbous bumps on its forehead. And it was wearing a long robe that had like um, a huge collar on it with a green amulet on the neck. And it glided right past me and then turned around and just stared at me. And I was just looking up at it like, oh, my God, you know, this is crazy. And I wasn't even scared at all. I felt like he was very loving and was trying to communicate with me telepathically. And I said to him in my mind, what is happening? And he basically just said to me, not a voice or anything. What he did was he transmitted to me a symbol. Mm. <laughs> and I can't really explain that to you, but it's like I saw in my mind the symbol. And what it looked like to me now was what a, a crop circle would look like maybe if it were drawn out with a black pen. But it was long like a key or a keyhole. And I said, I don't understand what this is. And he said to me, telepathically, you will when it is time. And after that, the next thing that happened was there was a, um, a three-dimensional hologram that just appeared between us. And what it looked like was a three-dimensional um, algebraic equation. So say you were looking at, on a chalkboard, you were looking at a equation, like a math equation, like geometry. Yeah. Or, or algebra or whatever. But if you went to the side of this, it was actually three-dimensional. So it felt like it was a different type of math. And I'm horrible at math. So I said, okay, I really <laughs> don't understand this. And he said again, you will when it is time. And then he said to me something that I will never forget. And that was that the cure for cancer was something that we used every day. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm nine. So I don't really pay attention to anything that has to do with cancer. Sure. But I know that cancer is like a, you know, something that's pretty horrible. And so I was trying to make sense of what he was trying to convey to me. And so I'm thinking about something that we would use every day. And I said, oh, you mean like toothpaste? And he kind of chuckled, which is funny because he didn't laugh out loud. It was like in my head he laughed. And he said, yeah, I like that. <laughs> hmm. And I said, okay. And then he, I said, well, I still don't understand what's happening. And so he said to me telepathically, follow me. And so... He turned and faced the side of the craft and went over and he waved his hand across the wall. And when he did, it was like wiping off the fog off of like the condensation off of a window. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, I could see the stars and I could see the earth. And I went, oh, I get it now. It was like now everything made sense. I felt like 
I'm off Earth. Okay, this makes sense. But I wasn't freaked out about it at all. And then he said, follow him. So I followed him um, through this little archway down a hallway that was curved. And then there were three little arches on the right hand side. And after the third arch, I went in and saw a room full of other children around my age. And they're all facing the wall in these little chairs. And they were watching a slideshow that was being um, shown on the wall almost, almost holographically. But it was also scenes of like famine and war and just like devastation on the earth and earthquakes and fires and just basically that we were going to be causing our own demise is the feeling that I got and that he was trying to impress on these children like me that we need to stop this and that we have the ability to change what's going to happen in the future. Like they were trying to give this to us subliminally so we can take this back with us to try and help change to the next generations that was my feeling and after that i just turned around and i looked at him and i it's like a, a snap of the finger again and i was back in my bed and so that was a dream but i remember waking up and sitting up thinking oh my god like i really had this experience so then i started thinking well maybe i am crazy that i just had these vivid dreams like this because nobody i know ever talks about this kind of stuff you know so it was very frustrating but um, I also had another feeling one time of laying in bed where all of a sudden I saw these lights coming in through my shutters mm-hmm. and I looked out the window and then the next thing I know, I'm out. And then the next thing I know after that is the covers are being pulled up to my neck. And, and how, thinking, how old are you at the time? Right around the same time, about nine or ten years old. Yeah. Another time, the lights came through my shutters, and I ran, and I hid in the bathtub. And I'm thinking, why am I hiding? Because I know they're going to find me anyway. But I remember clearly having these thoughts as a kid. So do you, do you think in that first experience, you think you, you were still in bed the whole time? It was sort of, if, if you were having this experience, it was just in a different sort of um, state of mind. Right. That was the only way I could make sense of it at the time. So having all these weird experiences, for sure, made me think that, okay, I'm just having vivid dreams or I'm losing my mind. Right. <laughs> and as a kid, that's a very frightening thing. And and you're not going to go to your mom and say, Mom, I think I'm going crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but didn't you say some of this came back to you when you saw Communion? Well, when I read Communion, I... I read that book in a day, and after reading it, I wrote him an 11-page letter because I felt like he had written a book about me, and I'm sure that I'm not alone when I say that. I'd never heard anybody else talk about this until that day, and at the time, I was, you know, what, 26 years old. So all these years of living with these, you know, weird, strange happenings in my life started to make sense, and I realized that the things that had happened You know, when I was four years old, that dream that I remember, how many people out there can remember a dream that you have when you were four? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I dreamed that I was being carried back to my bed by little children underneath me. Like they were carrying me back into my bedroom. Hmm. And I could see the ceiling. I could see the door. They put me back in the bed and they pulled the cover up to my neck. And when I woke up in the morning... I went right up to my mother and I said, Mommy, I need a belly uh, band-aid for my belly button. Huh. And she said, what do you mean you need a band-aid for your belly button? And I said, Mommy, I just need a band-aid for my belly button. I was adamant. And she says, what are you talking about? And I said, "I." they told me. And she says, who told you? And I said, they told me if I didn't put a band-aid on my belly button that it would get infected. Interesting. And so was there anything there? I, 
I don't remember. I mean, this oh. is just my memory. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? So I don't really remember what happened if I actually looked at it, per se. I was just adamant that I needed it. And so she basically rolled her eyes and went and got a Band-Aid and put it on and walked away. And then I was happy and I went about my day. <laughs> <laughs> so I clearly remember that. And we sh- we should also note that n- these are these are memories. These are not nothing. None of this has been recovered through hypnosis for you. Absolutely not. So. No, no, yeah. I I don't. Um, I've never had hypnosis. I feel that I have recalled as much as I really need to to know that these things are real. I have a huge fear of recalling something that was traumatic that wouldn't serve me in a positive way mm. in my life, and therefore I have chosen not to do that. And also having false memory retrieval or or making things up you know i know the things that i know now and i know they're real so that's all that's important to me yeah yeah i I totally agree with that i'm glad you didn't uh didn't fall into that trap yes it's hard because i can understand why people would want to absolutely you know it makes perfect sense to me it's just that unfortunately a lot of people don't know the the science behind it i mean what literally we actually know about hypnosis to begin with you know, right. it's an altered state, and it's and there's definitely interesting stories. Um, Brent Rains talks about, uh, and I think it was a, a John Keel who initially talked about it. Someone getting hypnotized, and while he was hypnotized, he said, "There's a UFO over the building," and they walked outside. There was a UFO over the building. Wow. You know, so I mean, again, we don't really know what these states are. Right. That's true. That's true. Interesting. Yeah, I have an experience very similar to that, but <sighs> among others. But <laughs> anyway, so. Well, what, what was yours? Now, now, now you got to tell. <laughs> well, interesting. I had a dream. It was a dream, but um, but it happened in 2011 or 2012. No, it was 2011. I uh, I dreamed that I woke up in the dream, standing next to five other people, and we were all holding hands. And as we're holding hands, we're looking at each other like, what are we doing here? But nobody's saying anything. But then we all look ahead of ourselves. And what's laying in front of us is a tour bus. Say, for example, you're going cross country on a huge motor coach. Yeah. And they have the, it's a double decker. So the underneath is all where all the luggage is stored. And then you go up to the second level and that's where you sit. And all the windows are pretty much blacked out. Right. So right. we saw one of those buses, but it was capsized on its side completely. There was no other car involved. But we're all looking at each other and looking at the bus and looking at each other. And we just went for the bus. And we just ran to the bus and went into the bus. And when we went into the bus, we actually went through the bus. Like, I went through the windshield, okay? Which is my first thought of this is something in an altered state. Right. So I go in and everybody's screaming and yelling. There's women crying and you could see everybody's hanging from like their seatbelts. And and so I realized that each person that I went in with was attending to one person. And I went right to this one woman. And this woman looks at me and she starts speaking to me telepathically in a different language, help my baby. And I understood her even though she was speaking a foreign language, which was weird. And I looked for the baby and I saw that there was a baby underneath the seat. And so I pulled the baby up and the baby had a gash on his cheek. I undid the mom's seatbelt. And after I made sure she was okay, I looked around to make sure that nobody else needed my help. And when I assessed that everybody else is pretty much okay, I basically came back out of the bus the way that I came in and zoomed back into my body and woke up sitting straight up in my bed. Mm. And I was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) And my boyfriend at the time is still sleeping next to me. 
And so I kind of shook him awake and I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, I have to tell you what just happened. But, you know, he was used to all my weirdness anyway. And he was kind of like, I'll just go back to sleep. (laughs) But I couldn't go back to sleep. So I got up and I remember it was a Saturday and I decided, okay, well, I'll just, you know, just get up and make some coffee and just got on the computer. And we had a bunch of errands to run that day. And as, as we're out on our errands, I couldn't shake the dream. It was like so real. I mean, I kept saying, you know, that dream was just like, what was that all about? And why was this woman yelling at me? And who are those five people? And he was like, Oh, my God, will you stop? You know? (laughs) So when we got home, I just got on my computer. And I said, You know, what? I'm just gonna Google and see just, you know, I thought about the dream that I had when I was in high school. Yeah. And it kind of felt like that, you know, kind of like, like, there's got to be something because it was just so realistic, you know. So I googled like, Bus crash, um, July 7th. Oh, my gosh. Today's July 6th. Interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, 2011. And then I put, um, because it was, the woman had an accent, you know, a different, if she's speaking a different language, I'm sorry. Um, I realized that it must not have been in the United States. So I put Europe. And I typed all that in and I scrolled like three pages. And on the third page, there was this one article where there was this tiny thumbnail of a picture of a bus on its side. (laughs) And I clicked on it and it was the bus from my dream. And it took place in Bulgaria. And it was a bus full of women and their children going to a summer camp that had capsized. And that one person had died. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how did I miss that? I didn't see anybody dead. The person who had died was ejected outside the bus. Mm. And when I looked at the timestamp, it happened while I was sleeping in Bulgaria. Wow. So it was happening in real time. So when you were talking about the craft (laughs) over the house, it's like, okay, so in my situation, it might be different. But it was happening at the very same time that I was dreaming it. So then I was even more in a pickle because I couldn't understand what exactly was happening. Did I remote view this? Was I actually there? Um, Did they see me? You know, I'm interacting with this woman. Um, what, you know, then all this like other stuff started happening. I started thinking about, okay, so what if when, you know, you hear about people that are in car accidents and they see in a photograph, like this white energy being helping this person who was injured. So then I started thinking, so are we guardian angels while we sleep? Like maybe I I really, uh, that's a really interesting idea. I mean, what do you think? I think it's entirely possible. I mean, there's also cases where people will see the ghost of someone and then find out it was someone who used to live in the house who's still alive. Oh, my God. You know, so it's like, it's entirely yeah. possible that, that we are, you know, either projecting or, uh, yeah, that, that third man syndrome where someone rescues someone. Yeah, there could be someone in, in another state of consciousness. It doesn't necessarily have to be something uh, other. Right. But I know that you've been talking a lot lately about um, precognitive dreams, and that's one of the reasons why I contacted you and yeah. wanted to speak with you, because I think it's a very interesting uh, conversation to have. It would be a really great uh, roundtable just to just talk about dreams. Um, but um, So there's just so many different ways to think about dreams in general. So every time that we dream, are we really traveling time, you know, you know, what is time linear or whatever, you know, just like 
are we really in real time visiting these other places? And if so, then if we're having these quote unquote abduction dreams, then what about that? Yeah. And are Is they re- it interdimensional? Are we crossing through a different dimension um, in our consciousness while we're sleeping? That's another dream that I had, but I'll get to that. But I don't know. It, it just opens up a huge can of worms. When, when you were talking about the, the sort of multidimensional stuff in the one experience, uh, I had that happen for a little while where I was shown keys that were sort of multidimensional. Mm. So when I woke up, I'm like, I can't, I can't draw this because I'm missing a dimension. Oh, interesting. But at the same time, like the, the key, you know, how the, the, the part of the key that actually goes into the lock almost looked like a cityscape. Oh, wow. And they would glow, but they would also be in this additional dimension that like my brain had no way to configure once I woke up. Right. That's weird, Soraya. I was having these dreams. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought this up because I just remembered it. I would have a dream and then I would, have you ever woken up in the middle of a dream and wanted to go back into it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, a few times, a couple years ago, and it was just like a, a, a short amount of time, maybe like, like the span of, I, w- I was having these dreams where I would wake up in the middle of a dream, but as I'm waking up, I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm seeing this grid, okay? And the grid looked like inside of this grid was, um, I'm going to say hieroglyphics, but it looked like all these different hieroglyphic letters that were turning around like three-dimensional in this grid. And it was almost like when you um, see a negative or if you look at a light bulb and you close your eyes and you see the impression, Mm -hmm. like when I eyes and open my eyes I could see it on the ceiling and I closed my eyes and I could see it when my eyes were shut same thing so all the and so I felt like it was the dimensions were smashing back together yeah yeah do you know what I'm saying yep oh, that's weird okay <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's like you're flat off. flattening out a three-dimensional object into a two-dimensional object yeah yes exactly um the and and the thing is it it can also i mean we don't even know what really another dimension would be it, right? it's i mean to me those things seemed like they were just going in a direction that wasn't there normally right like right. they were extending into something else right but again it's so hard to it's so hard to describe. Like, it made perfect sense when I was shown the key, but then I was like, I don't know how to describe it. I don't even know what to write down for this. Exactly. That's the hard part. You know, you you trying to describe, like, we don't have the capacity to even be able to, you know what it's like to try and to describe a color. Right. Yes. How do you do that? You don't. To somebody. Who's, you don't. Who's col- <laughs> yeah, who's blind or colorblind or whatever. Right. Yeah. What, what is yellow? Well, it's, it's yellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. So anyway. So there was there was another experience you just said uh well you said that was another another thing that happened. Okay. So so one okay, my husband, he used to work for UPS and he used to um come home. He worked the night shift, so he would come home at about three o'clock in the morning and then he would stay up until like five in the morning and then we would go to bed and that was just our routine. We would get up at one, we would, you know, that was our routine. He would come home for lunch at like eleven o'clock. <laughs> because he worked about five minutes away from where we live. So this one night, um, he came home, and I was already kind of sleeping. I was laying in bed. I was just too tired to get up. And and um, he was on the computer. But I'm laying next in the bed. He's on the computer. And I started dreaming about, I don't know what it was, but I was being sucked through a wormhole by my feet. And I reached my hand up, and I said, grab my hand. And 
He says, what? And I said, grab my hand. And so he's literally grabbing my hand <laughs> as he's on the computer. And then I wake up and he's grabbing onto my hand. So I felt like I was going into another dimension. Mm-hmm. But I'd never had this physical connection of him actually pulling me out of it. So I wasn't getting sucked in. Another time, um, we were laying in bed and it was like five in the morning. And so it was you know, almost dawn, but it was still dark out. It was um, fall, so it was still pretty dark. And as he's laying in bed, I'm still awake. And I'm looking out this, we had two bedroom windows. One of them was totally bright and the other one was dark. And I'm like, why is that window so bright? So I get up and I open the curtain. And when I open the curtain, there was a light that just collapsed in itself like a shutter and a camera. Yeah. And I went, huh, well, that was weird. So did you see that? And he didn't answer. So he was already asleep. <laughs> So I went and got in the bed and fell asleep. And when I woke up in the morning, it was, well, afternoon. It was one o'clock in the afternoon. And usually I would get up before him. But this, for whatever reason, this morning, he was already up before me. So I got up and I walked down the hallway. And it was the Saturday before Christmas of 2013. And I walked past the den. And he's sitting in the den, drinking a cup of coffee. And he looked up and I startled him. He's like, oh, my God, where were you? And I said, what do you mean, where was I? And I said, I just got out of bed. I'm wearing my pajamas. He's like, no, when I woke up, you weren't in bed. I said, what do you mean I wasn't in bed? And he said, didn't you hear me calling your name? I said, "Um, what are you saying right now? And I freaking panicked (laughs) because I'm thinking, what do you mean I wasn't in bed? He says at the time um, his two daughters were living with us. He said he thought I had gone Christmas shopping with his daughters because I wasn't in bed. And when he called my name, I wasn't here. Hmm. And so I lost my mind because I, in my entire life, had never had anybody say that I had gone missing. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, put my hands on my temples and I'm saying out loud, think, 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 because I'm trying to recall anything that had happened. And I couldn't remember anything. And then all of a sudden I said, just give me a a pen and a piece of paper. And I was compelled to draw a picture. And so what I drew was, if you can imagine, if you take a slinky and you partially open it, so it's like halfway open, and then you take another slinky and you put it in the middle and you bisect the other slinky with it. I know it's hard to to say over, you know, Skype, but what I was trying to explain to him was something that was impressed on me. And that was where these Slinkies bisect is where everything drops into this dimension. Mm. And all those other lines of the slinkies were all the other different dimensions. And when they line up in that one spot is why we have visitations. It's why we have um, ghosts. It's why we have just, you know, all this paranormal stuff. It's because we cross those planes at that one moment that they come in in that space. And that I have no idea what any of that means, if it even means anything. But that was what was impressed on me. And the whole being missing thing, I have no clue to this day what happened. Um, So Shirley Black had an experience where she had walked into a hotel room where she was was doing some uh, psi testing uh, at some laboratory. And one of the people who was doing the testing was waiting for her in the foyer. And she had been out shopping or something. I don't remember the, the exact story. But she came in, he wasn't there, she went up to her room and eventually called him because, you know, she was supposed to meet up with him and he's like, I've been in the foyer. Oh my God. And she's like, I just walked through the foyer. There was no one in the foyer. And she's like, I haven't left. I've been sitting right here. (laughs) Oh my God. And that happened with uh, my roommate. I had taken her to the the store to get groceries and she texts me, uh, you know, are are you still in the store? And I'm like, yeah, I'm almost done. 
And she's like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting on the bench by the door. So when I come out, I look at the bench and she's not there. And I'm like, well, maybe she walked to the car. I get out to the car. She's not there. So I text her and I'm like, uh, I'm at the car. Where are you? She's like, I'm on the bench by the door. Oh my God. Uh, and I'm like, but I just, and I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe she means another bench. Maybe there's a different bench. I didn't realize it. So the next time we, we went through the store, I went, was it that bench? And she's like, yeah. She's like, and I never got up. And I'm like, yep, there was nobody on that bench when I walked through. Okay, so what's going on? (laughs) I don't know. Different, different, slightly different, uh, you know, uh, vibrational realities, maybe? Right. So, you know, because I'm thinking, so is he, when he looked at me and I wasn't there and he called for me and I didn't hear him, I obviously was not in this plane in this, at that moment. I, I, I am sure if we had Joshua Cutchin right now, he would tell us about 15 <laughs> different fey versions of the story where people like, you know, disappear and then reappear. Um, I remember one that Patrick Harper sent me about a girl who, who walked onto a ferry mound uh, or ferry fort or whatever to take a shortcut home and she got trapped on it. So she would be walking in one direction and then find herself turned around. Oh, wow. And she could hear people, you know, they sent out people looking for her and she could hear people yelling for her. Right, right. But they couldn't hear her and she couldn't get off this this, fa- this ferry fort or whatever a formation it was. Um, so, like, you get that too uh, with certain missing people cases where, right. uh, and David Politis, you know, has pointed out some of these cases where people are, areas that are searched they're then found in or you know they they scour the whole area they're yelling for them they hear nothing right so that's really weird so they're they're the whole fey led thing may may you know be an interpretation of whatever this thing is that happens occasionally Mm. now whether or not it's it's the person Mm. i mean obviously cheryl lee had a lot of uh i mean cheryl lee had three near-death experiences so she was just loaded down with all kinds of uh that's why she was doing the, the side tests and stuff, just loaded down with all kinds of energy. Uh, mm-hmm. My roommate, same thing. I mean, she has experiences all the time. So, you know, maybe that doesn't happen to just anyone unless maybe you're in the right location. Right. I don't know. Because I think some of it's environmental, some of it's the person, some of it's, I mean, who knows what else. Yeah. I mean, thinking about all the things that have happened to me. They're all so different, but I mean, obviously it's me. I mean, I have never heard of any of my friends talking about stuff like this. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's, that's the same with my experiences. Like I, I don't generally have the same experience. Um, You know, there might be something similar, but most of the time when I have an experience, it's something totally new Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm just going, well, what, what was that? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and a lot of times they're one-offs. Mm. You know, yeah, I, and they are a lot. Of, a lot of mine are one-offs. It's yeah. so weird that you say that. I mean, dream stuff aside, I mean, the right. actual physical experiences are generally one-offs. Right. And Why is that? I, I don't know. And I mean, and that makes some people skeptical because they're like, "Oh, you just so you say you just explain, you know, experience everything." And it's like, no, I'm I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that some people are more prone to have these experiences. I mean, if you stop looking at it as as like. Oh, this is a ghost experience, and this is a, an alien experience, and you realize these are just weird experiences with different faces. Yes, totally. You know, it doesn't make sense that someone would see a ghost and also Bigfoot. You know, if, right. if you're separating them out and saying these are two very rare experiences, why would one person have both of them? But when you right. realize the person is probably the reason that they're mm-hmm. having these experiences. Mm-hmm. So, why is the person the reason? <laughs> That's a great question. 
please tell me. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And like I said, I think some of it's environmental. Um, you know, there's def- definitely certain areas that are more people are more prone to have experiences with. Well, what do you mean by that? Like the location? Yeah, like the location. There are areas that are gen- generate more energy and may p- right. cause us more energy. All right. Well, then explain this. I was born in Hollywood, California, mm-hmm. and then I lived in Pasadena, and then I moved to Ventura County, and now I live in Rhode Island, and I've still had the craziest experiences here than I have on the West Coast. Yeah, well, it doesn't mean anything. It, it seems, <laughs> it, seems to be, it seems to be following you. What I'm saying is you could have <laughs> someone who doesn't normally have experiences, but they might go to a, to a spot that makes it uh, more likely that they'll have an experience. Like the energy of the area might, might create the experience. I see Okay, I agree with that because it's definitely different out here. For you know, sure. like like take a quote haunted house. Uh, you get new houses that have haunted type behavior in them, mm. and yeah. So you're like, well, I mean, first of all, the entire planet's a graveyard. <laughs> you know, sure. if you go back far enough in time, something has died in every spot on this entire planet. Um, but like you have new houses, and you're going, well, why why is this this house haunted? Because it doesn't mm. have that history. It doesn't have. But maybe it's just the area. Maybe it's just an energy spot. I mean, uh, I, f- I find that like when I go to graveyards, the co- graveyards I've been to that are the most haunted are also the oldest. Mm. And I suspect that many of these graveyard areas were picked because they were sacred spots. And they were right. sacred spots because they had weird energy. <laughs> And then you add in all the emotional energy that you get from people dying and then being mm-hmm. buried there. And it's not mm-hmm. necessarily ghosts. It, right. I mean, it may be, but right. I think there's other stuff going on as well, just because of the area. Cause I've been in plenty of graveyards that had nothing weird in them. Hmm. And a lot, and a lot of times those are the newer graveyards where they're just, they place those graveyards based on this is where we have space. Right. Interesting. But there's also, I mean, when you're talking about new construction there's a lot of you know sacred you know burial grounds and stuff that yeah yeah so where for example there's like a parking lot over a graveyard you know right right like how does that even it just happens just does um but i i think with all of this stuff we're doing with with a multiplicity of factors Mm -hmm. you know and like so what what someone could say is a ghost could be yeah sure it could be the spirit of a dead person uh, it could be a residual recording in a specific area that is more uh, likely to pick up these recordings, like the ghost tape theory. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something that's, you know, if you get poltergeist activity, that could be coming from the person. True. Um, you Very could true. have a spirit be manifesting and pretending to be a dead person. Or is like there's a, I remember, um, oh man, his name is escaping me. Uh, he wrote the uh, Black Eyed Children book. Oh. Um. Yep. <sighs> He was like the second guest on the show, David Weatherly. David White. So David, in talking about tulpas, was talking about a mansion, mansion, uh, a fa- uh, plantation down south mm-hmm. that was haunted by this woman, and the the woman had this whole history of why she was haunting the place. And when people looked into it, it turned out this woman never existed, but. People were seeing the same form. They were even getting pictures that looked similar. So it's almost like whatever this thing was formed into the shape of that woman over time, even though that woman never existed. So maybe it was a spirit. It was the spirit of of a dead person that that changed form, or maybe it was something completely different that slowly formed to fit the beliefs of the people going in. I, you know, and the more people talk about something, you actually can manifest. Right. Exactly. 
So you have sure. you have things like the Philip experiment where they manifested a ghost. They created yep. the ghost out of nothing, and it started responding just like an, an actual spirit would. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Makes sense. So, I mean, we in, we impact our environment a lot more than I think people realize. Like, it's not as easy as just wanting something like the whole secret thing where it's like, well, if you just really want it, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. It's a little more complicated than that. Um, but sometimes just asking for something will get it for you. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's, sure. that's always, you know, something you need to be careful with. That's true. <laughs> I, I very, had, very true. I had once said, man, I could really use about $2,000 right now. And like two days later, I hit a deer <gasps> with my car and was like, oh, man, well, the damage isn't very bad. But uh, the insurance company calls me and they're like, we're going to total the car. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to get the car fixed. And they're like, you can get the car fixed. We're still going to total it. And, uh, and I'm all confused. And he's like, look, you just can't get comprehensive insurance on it again. You just got to get it inspected again. So get it fixed, get it inspected. You can put it back on the road. But in the meantime, with your deductible, we're going to give you $2,000 for the oh car. <laughs> and I just started laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, awesome, but not, but you know yeah, what I mean? Not awesome for the deer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> but I mean, the deer literally made an effort to get in front of my car. Wow. That's and, crazy. And I was just like, why would you do that? Like, it wasn't just because that. Because you needed $2,000. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it wasn't like, the, you know, deer will dart in weird directions, but this deer kind of like strolled out into the road. And as I got closer and pulled away from it, because I didn't have enough time to slow down, it stuck its head right in front of the car. Wow. So it only hit, like, it only took out, like, the headlight, the fender, and dented up the side of the car, which I didn't care about. That's That was what was going to cost so much to fix, because I'm like, I don't care about the dents. I just I just need a new headlight, you know? Right. That's crazy. But, I mean, so, yes, yeah, sometimes just asking for things does happen, but you you got to be careful. Right. Well, it's like, is it like black magic then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just a literal response. Right. I mean, I, I suspect that, the, that a lot of the creation stuff that we do on our, our reality comes from a deeper part of ourselves that we don't directly control. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And so when we're doing stuff like magic, we're, we're trying to kind of influence that part of ourselves. Actually, you yeah. said, and you said you had gotten involved with Wicca for a while. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I just, I really was trying to figure out what was going on with me when I was younger. And I just thought, okay, I, I did two things. One of them was I went down a, a religious path and, and thought, you know, maybe it's angels that are visiting me, you know, because I couldn't make sense of it. Nobody else was talking about anything like what I was seeing. So I thought, well, maybe this is what angels really are. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's a divine situation. So I started going to church with um, all of my friends um, my father decided that he was going to become an atheist when I was a young child and that we weren't allowed to go to church anymore. So I started <laughs> just I, totally random, but that's another story. He um, kind of, I don't know, went off the deep end for a while there. And, and so we basically had to just adhere to his beliefs. And so we were now not religious. Um, but I went to a Presbyterian church for a while, and then I went to a, I was Catholic, I was Seventh-day Adventist, um, Mormon, um, born-again Christian, and I was thinking that one of these churches must have the answer to what was happening to me. And so I read the Bible, and I thought, well, no, that's not it either. So then I thought, well, maybe it's witches, maybe it's 
demons. And so I started checking out books from the library about um, the occult and, and witchcraft and started um, like deciding that maybe this is something that was a lot more powerful and would make a lot more sense. And so my friend up the street, we would get together and we're like, oh, why don't we just start, you know, creating spells and stuff and just see what happens. Maybe we can actually manifest something. And I thought, okay, cool. And so <laughs> we just decided that we would, you know, like certain people that we didn't like, we would, you know, cause harm to them. I mean, like unintentionally, ha ha. <laughs> right. <laughs> or make them get a bad grade in school or something or, you know, totally benign stuff. And uh, so we decided that we would write all this stuff down and then bury them in my backyard. And so one night I got up in the middle of the night to get some water. And as I'm walking down my hallway, I looked out the back glass door window to the backyard and I saw little plumes of smoke coming up out of my grass where we had buried these little spells. <laughs> and I went, okay, maybe not. <laughs> Did any of the spells work? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized it was a bad thing. Mm. And then I did another thing that you're not supposed to do, and that was burn my Ouija board. So mm. I did that, and I never went back. I just decided that there was some definite power there, and it didn't seem, from my perspective, that it was a positive thing. But we also did something else really weird that I didn't tell you about. And I know this is totally random, but, I mean, we were little kids. We were, it was a thunderstorm. We had like 11 days of rain mm. when we were living in um, Newbury Park, California. And my girlfriend and I decided to do a rain dance in the rain for a power outage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. to see if we could actually manifest it. And so we started doing a rain dance for a power outage at, to Thor, okay? Mm -hmm. And we did that for about five minutes, and we lost power. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I remember we both screamed. We looked at each other, we screamed, and we both ran to our houses <laughs> and slammed the door. And I remember... I remember clear as day that I grabbed my diary and wrote in my diary by candlelight what had happened. I could not believe that this happened, that did I manifest this? Right. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And that, that, that's one of those questions where like, that's a big manifestation. Is it something we really can do as individuals? Yes. The entire neighborhood was blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, one one of mine that, that happened like that. Uh, actually, we're going to take a quick break. I'll tell you when we come back. Okay. Quick mid-show break here on Where Did the Road Go? And um, contact info. If you have a weird story that you want to share, either on there or off, you can email me at stories at com. Otherwise, contact at com is the best place. And uh, if you go to com, you'll find links to everything. Uh, there's a contact section um, and, of course, uh, links on the side for uh, all our social media from uh, Facebook to Twitter to um, Discord. So all that's up there. You can also s subscribe to become a Patreon. And it's only $3 a month. And you get extra content with almost every show, sometimes more than once a week, actually. And you get the shows a week early. Um, if you are into metal or heavier dark music, you can always check out my music show which is The Last Exit for the Lost. And uh, that's at www.thelastexit.org. And there's archives of that going back years and current shows in our Mixcloud account. And we do a lot of live performances too that are on our YouTube channel that you can all find there if you're interested in that stuff. 
As for a recommendation this week, this one's a little confusing. So I guess the the actual cha- podcast channel is called Limelight, and it's BBC Four, um, BBC Radio Four, but they have a bunch of different stories on it. So for instance, the one going now is is called Bitter Pill, which uh, has been okay so far. But there's been a few of them in there. Uh, I think the system was really good. Uh, the house that vanished sounded like it was going to be good, and then I couldn't get into it. Uh, Hairland uh, was really good. And they, they basically do like five-episode uh, stories and sometimes come back to those stories, like who is Aldrich Kemp has had two different uh, five-episode arcs, and meanwhile they put on other stuff in between. I've skipped a few of them just because they didn't seem interesting, but the ones I listened to that I thought did sound interesting were actually very, very good. Uh, they're, of course, they're well done. I mean, they're the BBC, but the stories are pretty cool too. Uh, like I said, I'm not, not sure how I feel about the bitter pill one so far. I'm only like uh, two episodes in, and it's it's an interesting concept. I don't want to give it away, but uh, yeah, I would say I would say check it out if you're looking for something uh, a little different to listen to. Uh, some of them are a little paranormal. Some of them are not. Like I said, I thought the house that vanished was going to be paranormal, but uh, I mean, from the beginning, it didn't really seem like there was much of a mystery as to why the house vanished, <laughs> and it just didn't click with me, so I didn't listen to it. Uh, but yeah, that that would be my my uh, recommendation for this week, a podcast just under the heading "A Limelight" from BBC Radio Four. So yeah, check it out, and you know, skip around through the stories, see which ones click with you. All right. Back to the show. And you are listening to uh, Where Did the Road Go? And uh, uh, Suzanne, uh, Suzanne, I was going to tell you the story that kind of involves a power outage as well that happened with me, but it was not intentional. I, uh, I'm i very electrosensitive. Like, I will knock lights out. I'll knock electronics out. It used to be a lot worse than it is now. Uh, but there was a period of like three days where everything I touched, literal sparks would jump off of. And I was like, what is going on? And I'd gone to a radio station to see a friend of mine, and uh, we're, we're, we're hanging out, and he's one of those people who always wanted to shake your hand. And I'm like, no, 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 don't touch me. <laughs> like, just don't. I didn't need, I wasn't going to try and explain it. I'm like, just don't. He like, gave me a weird look, and he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But the booth he was in was fairly small that the station was in. So at some point, he went to move by me and just barely brushed against me, and it went off like a gunshot. What? And it threw him across the room. <laughs> and so, like, I was, he touched my back. And so I turned around and he's sitting on the floor on the other side of the booth with this look of shock on his face. And I'm like, remember I said not to touch me? Wow. And he's like, what was, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for you, you know? So, like, and I'm leaving and, like, all the lights are going off as I pass under them. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, like, so the ne- I think it was the next day I went to a different radio station a different friend of mine worked at and I walked in and I'm talking to him and uh, we're talking about new stuff he got in and at some point I grab a hold of the metal rack that the CD players and everything was on mm-hmm. and it felt like I grabbed a live wire wow and all the power went out what and I was like there's no way I just did that like because everything went out and so then we went out walked outside and all the power all the way down the block is out. What? And I'm like, there's, and I didn't say anything to him at the time. And I'm just thinking, there's no way that was me. That was not me. But all that stuff, all that massive electrical stuff stopped after that. Wow. And he was the news director there. And I said, if you could just find out why the power went out. And so the next day he calls me and he's like, so they said it was a surge 
that came from down by the radio station, but they've never mm. seen anything like it. And they don't know what happened, but it blew up one of the Transformers. And I was what? like, <laughs> I was like, okay, yep, sure. And I'm going, I, I'm having a hard time believing it was me, but literally it happened as soon as I touched that thing. Like I said, it felt like I touched a live wire. And then I wasn't shocking things again after that. Like that's, it's never been like that again. It was just that three-day period, whatever was going on with my energy, and then that's what stopped it. Wow. I mean, gra- insane. granted, it could have been worse, but I mean, it's yeah. but it's one of those things where I'm going, like, is a person actually able to generate that much electricity? Like, what? Wow. What, what is that, you know? Wow, that is amazing. That's scary, actually. <laughs> it's what? It's pretty scary. <laughs> it was- I mean... Luckily, it's, like I said, it's never happened again. I, I'm still, you know, occasionally short things out. Um, I, I was just talking to someone recently who was asking me about this stuff, and he's like, well, especially when I get stressed, stuff's, you know, like I feel like the computer's running slower. I'm like, mm. oh, no, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you affect electronics and you get stressed out, that's when the electronics start uh, right. start acting up. <laughs> and again, going back to Shirley Black, um, she massively affects electronics still. And if she starts getting upset, like if she's talking about her near-death experiences, one of them was very traumatic for her. And just the emotions coming up start causing, she has little LED lights that are not connected. I, th- I think she said they weren't connected to anything. And if they start lighting up, she knows she's about to short stuff out. Oh, my God. You know, So, so just from stress? Yes, just from stress. Wow. And so, like, there was w- one of the shows I did with her. At some point, she goes, I need to take a break. I'll, I'll, I'll call you back. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope she's not too upset talking about this stuff. And then she comes back, and she's like, no, okay, it's all right now. She's like, I was afraid I was going to blow everything up. And it wasn't even that she was, like, actively upset necessarily. Like, she, like she was okay talking about it, but it was just bringing up emotional states that were mm. started causing issues. You know what she needs to do is give all of her interviews outside while she's grounded with the no <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> So, I mean, and that's one of those weird things like, I mean, that electrical component to things, especially with lights being such a major part of all these phenomena. I mean, no matter what you look at, you get some level of light phenomena. Right. right. That's very true. I had, um, there's just so many things, but I just talking about light right now. Um, I had an experience here. This was in 2015. And one day... It was August 4th, 2015, I believe. It was a Sunday, and I was cutting Jack's hair in the backyard. It was a beautiful day. It was right after sunset, so the sun had already set, but it was still a nice glow in the sky. And um, I had, like I said, just finished cutting his hair, and I just was walking along the backyard. And the back of our house faces a lake, Mm. so over a fence. So the street behind us is actually where the, the front of the lake is. But... um. As I'm walking along my backyard, I just happen to look towards the lake. And there's like a little opening between the two houses behind me. And I saw a huge orange fiery orb coming out of the lake. Mm. And I'm trying to, it happens so fast, but I'm going to slow down because I'm going to get every detail. As I'm standing there, it's coming up 
so slowly, but I'm trying to like take in all the details because I can't understand what it is that I'm seeing. I'm thinking it's not a mylar balloon. It's not the sun that's already set. It's rising right, right. up into the sky. It's about 10 feet in diameter. It has a hard edge. Like say, for example, say you took like a pinball and you hollowed it out. So it was like, it seemed like it had a hard metallic exterior but the interior of it was roiling lava Wow! that was just turning around in itself. And I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I said, Jack, come here, come here, come here. And so he comes across the yard and I said, look right there. And what was happening is this orb was rising up into the bottom of the tree line, which meant that it was going to rise above it at some point. So I said, just continue to stare right there because it was right here. And I didn't have time to tell him what it looked like. I said, just stare right there. It never reemerged. <laughs> and I'm like pulling out my hair, trying to tell him, oh, my God, oh, my God, you cannot believe what I just saw. I've never seen another one off. I had yeah. never seen anything like this in my life. And I knew that somebody else must have seen it because it was enormous. And it was right there on the lake. The houses all faced the lake. How could nobody have seen this? And so I'm, I'm like frantic. I'm absolutely frantic. And I said, we have to find it. We have to go. We have to go drive around. We have to go look for somebody. There must be a fire somewhere. Maybe it was a fire on the other side of the lake, but neither you know. And he's standing there staring at me. And finally, he just grabs my shoulders. He's a Reiki master. <laughs> okay. So mm, he okay. just tried to ground me a little bit, puts his hands on my shoulders, and he stares right at me. And all of a sudden, he starts to speak to me like it's not even him. He says, what you saw was meant only for you. And at that moment, a monarch butterfly flew right in between us. And I'm staring at him like, who the hell was that just talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like he was in a trance. It was the weirdest thing. And then in a split second, I was frantic and like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to get in the car and go. And so I finally talked him into driving around the neighborhood to see if anybody else was standing there pointing at the sky like me. Right. But there was no one. Nobody. I mean, there was no there was no fire trucks. There was no nobody had a bonfire. But I mean, it wasn't even a fire. But I could it's like what else would create fire in a ball like that? And why would it be rising out of a lake? Well, it sounds like plasma. Well, now that I've doing been doing all this research since 2015 to try and figure out what the hell it was that I saw, um, realizing that I'm not the only one. Really? But like I'm, for, I'm for not that, the only one that has, has particular seen experience? Like oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In general. Yeah. So I actually spoke to Whitley about it. Mm-hmm. I, because I was just so, I mean, he and I have become friends after all these years, which is really fantastic. I'm so grateful. So I contacted him right away and I said, please, you need to help me. <laughs> And have you ever heard anything about something like this before? And he said that he felt that it was the souls of the dead. I don't know why he said that. But for some reason, he said that those things that manifested like that were actually like the souls of people rising up or something. Okay. And I was not satisfied with that (laughs) (laughs) for for myself. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think that's what it was. But, um, But still, I just don't know what it was. But it was so enormous. I actually went on that UFO stalker site to see if anybody else had um, reported something on that day at that time, and nobody had. So I don't know. I don't know. But it, and so what happened after that was weird. Talking about what we were talking about earlier on the phone about when you have a sighting, what were you thinking or what were you doing at the time that you had the sighting? Right. Okay. So I started thinking about that. And what happened after this happened gets even weirder. So that night, it was super hot. And um, 
the next day was Monday, and that night we went to bed, and we were woken up early in the morning to the sound of the power going out. And that woke me up. What happened was we were having a huge microburst outside at that moment. Oh, wow. And it was, you couldn't even see across the yard. It was so dense. We had 1,500 lightning strikes in 15 minutes. Wow. And all I could think about was my tomatoes that I had just planted. And that they were going to be destroyed. <laughs> and I, had, I needed to save them. And so I was going to go in the backyard. And Jack was like, are you crazy? You get in here right now. So he's standing in the kitchen. I'm trying to save my tomatoes. Come back in the house. And it moves out in 15 minutes. Our whole neighborhood is completely obliterated. There's trees down everywhere. We have no power. And um, he worked, like I said, for UPS. They were still working. And so he had to go into work. So he would come home at night again at like 11 o'clock for his lunch break. And what ended up happening was we would eat dinner by candlelight or by flashlight. And he started like biting his cheek and biting his tongue. And then he started like not being able to find words and stuff. And I realized I thought he was having a stroke. Mm. So we called the doctor and they said to go to the emergency and found out that he was having a brain bleed. Wow. So we ended up um, being ambulanced to Rhode Island Hospital where they did an MRI and they didn't know if he had a brain tumor because there was so much blood and it was just a crazy time. It was a very, you know, frenetic, just like with worry and, and fear. And it turned out that um, he has a what's called a cavernoma, which is like a little malformation of blood vessels in the center of his brain that had bled and that it could have been there since birth. Mm. But um, the fact that all these things happened that right before this happened to him was very interesting to me. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So wondering if that's why I had the sighting, if yep. that's what led up to this event. I mean, why these things happen like that, that's that's an even harder question, but that, that is an a very common pattern. Right. He's fine now, by the way, but it was just a a really scary time. But to have that fantastic sighting like that, to be overshadowed by this horrible situation, it was just like all these different emotions and just like trying to make sense of anything. One of the theories I've put out there uh, in dealing with stuff like this is that because we, we don't we don't know what time is. Mm-hmm. You know, time, time is one of those things we take for granted. I mean, we think we understand. Oh, yeah, it moves forward one second at a time, right? Well, <laughs> we, we have seen in various scientific experiments that time can move backwards. Um, particularly in psi experiments, uh, they've shown that, you know, yeah, that precognition is a real thing. Um, so my... my Theory is that sometimes, like in the case like this, obviously the the brain bleed was a very traumatic event for you guys. Um, You sent that emotional energy backwards. Oh, what? And then you picked it up. And that's how, how, because you couldn't pick it up as literal, oh, you know, he's going to have a a stroke. It just manifested. It was just like stress and, and, and stuff's manifesting. So you basically created this this ball of light with the PK energy just kind of releasing like a poltergeist because, I mean, poltergeists create light um, as well as like whatever the, the, that calm state he put himself in, the monarch butterfly, was all an expression of you picking up that information from the future. Oh, my God. I've never thought of it that way. Um, like I always, I, I use the, the Mothman 
uh, situation as as a like perfect storm for that mm. because Kiel always talked about that those people there being very psychically sensitive to begin with. Mm-hmm. You can't get a much worse disaster for a small community than a bridge collapsing on Christmas or just around Christmas killing all these people. So that energy goes backwards. Some people have dreams of presents floating in the river, but other people, they have no outlet for that. You know, Mm -hmm. like they're they're picking it up on an unconscious level. It's manifesting as PK energy. So you're seeing poltergeist activity and potentially, you know, something using that energy to manifest going, you know, it's a bright spot in our world where they can they can kind of hone in on and utilize it to manifest to us mm-hmm. or we're just flat out manifesting the stuff without realizing it's coming from us and it's coming because of something that's coming in the future because as soon as that bridge collapse happens everything stops right interesting so instead of it being you know oh this stress is causing something to happen in the future this stress is actually moving backwards in time wow uh, and dr bem's uh psi research at a cornell shows that really well because they just use, you know, they weren't testing psychics. They were testing students. And they said that they, the students' brains would react to images of violence or sexuality before the computer had even randomly chosen them. I remember that. I remember reading about that. Yes. So, I mean, now extend that to something more than just an image with a normal person. Take someone who's more psychically sensitive and an event like a bridge collapse on Christmas or in your case, you know, him having a stroke. Right. You know, and that's that's a lot of and you're sensitive. So it's going right. back to you, but you're not getting the exact information. Instead it's it's outputting like a poltergeist would. But what about the microburst? <laughs> well that I don't know. That might have been that <laughs> that could have been coincidental. I mean <laughs> Or was it? Or or the microburst pressure might have been what, what started the bleed. Mm, I know I thought that too. Actually, so I mean the the fact that that was you know the microburst was was something that was going to happen had he not had that issue to begin with it wouldn't have hit right then right but since it hit right then it sent that information back to you because it was so traumatic it's just that you couldn't get it one to one so it just manifested as PK energy wow and so it was just for you that's I cannot wait to tell him this <laughs> I mean amazing. I don't I don't know if that's what happened but it fits, this makes it fits, perfect sense to me. It fits that pattern and it makes sense to why these things happen that seem completely random Mm -hmm. before something like more stressful happens. Mm -hmm. Because I I suspect banshees might be a similar phenomena because banshees are basically poltergeist. Right. And if it's running in families, then, you know, you're seeing repeated generations of sensitive people. And once that also, once that poltergeist idea gets put in or that banshee idea gets put in, that's how it's going to transmit. Right. You know, their 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 deeper self picks up this information and then goes, "Oh, it's time for the banshee." <laughs> wow, very interesting, Sarah. And like I said, the thing I like about it is it it doesn't it doesn't fail anywhere along the line. Like I can't prove that's what's happening, mm-hmm. but there's no point along that that fails where you go, mm-hmm. "No, it can't be because this." Mm. And you know, some maybe that's what's happening sometimes, and not. I'm, it's not a, a full explanation of ever all paranormal phenomena, but I think in some cases that might be why it happens the way it happens. Right, makes sense to me. Um, you had uh, oh, we're almost out of time here. Uh, the uh, and the the fact I've also uh, one of the things I've been looking at, especially with the light, is how sometimes these paranormal experiences lights manifest in a very two dimensional way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney were talking about how they would they would look at this light at this bus bus stop at one point, 
and you could see it if you were sitting in the right spot, but if you moved a little bit off, it was gone. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, Jeff also talked about like a, a incident with his wife where they were at a park, and he looked up and he saw this, this silver sphere hanging over the park. And he turned to his wife. He's like, look at that. And she's like, I don't see anything. And he grabbed her and he pulled her over to where he was standing. And suddenly she's like, okay, now I see it. Hmm. So when we're talking about it, huh? What is that then? Well, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's almost like that dimensional thing, but right, maybe in a exactly. way that we really don't understand mm-hmm. that these things are, are almost like holes in reality. Okay. I had a sighting like that where we were all at a barbecue in North Hollywood and there were about seven of us. And I saw a black, like a hockey puck, just cruising up along the sky. And I said, oh my gosh, look, look at that, look at that. And three of us could see it, and the rest of us couldn't. Right. And that also, I wonder sometimes if it's, are those people are those people's brains just censoring it out? Oh, maybe. Because um, I've had a couple of experiences. There was one walking, uh, I was with my girlfriend at the time, and a friend of mine, and this girlfriend had je- massive amounts of energy too. We're walking through one of these haunted graveyards, and we were suddenly surrounded by little balls of light. Mm -hmm. They were flying around us like insects. It was like nothing I have ever seen before. Wow. And she looks at me and goes, you're seeing this, right? And I'm like, yep. And we looked at our friend and went, you're seeing this, right? And he went, seeing what? (laughs) And like it was right there. It's not like it was in the distance or anything. And it's like, why can't you see it? Like, is your brain blocking it out? Is it not for you? Like, right. It, it it's there's so many questions right when it's something is meant only for you what does that really mean right right that this stuff all all affects us on a, a spiritual level or maybe you're just not in that same plane to be able to comprehend it in the first place so you're not allowed to yeah have the experience i don't know you're not ready for it right maybe i mean like you were saying about recovering memories even if you could maybe you, maybe it's not the thing you want to do. Well, I don't think it you know, has any purpose. It wouldn't serve any purpose in my life. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, it has to have meaning. And if it had meaning, you would probably remember it. Well, you know, we have to take these things very seriously. And I think a lot of times when people have regression, it's to, to, uh, to have proof for somebody. You know, some, yeah. oh, you yeah, know, yeah. I told you this. Well, see, now it's real because I have this regression. So now it makes my me more credible per se. Right. Does yes. it but does yeah. it really? It quite does the opposite at this <laughs> I point. I agree. I mean, no offense to anybody out there who's had regression. No, you know, I know not. it's difficult to, you know, make that decision for yourself and I think it's very personal. So please don't take it the wrong way when I say that. The um I just lost what I was gonna say. Saying about this stuff being very personal. But it is. It, it, this stuff is a very personal thing and it, and I think it avoids uh, any kind of empirical confirmation, right. like by its very nature, mm-hmm. because we don't live in as empirical of a world as we think we do. And this right. is this is kind of the point that touches off onto those other less, uh, oh, maybe call it the imaginal realm, like Jung would mm. or Patrick Harper would, um, mm. you know, where it's not fantasy, it's not imagination, but it's also not material reality like we're used to, something in between. Right. But um, tell people where they can find you. Um, well, you can actually go to my blog is um, randomalienbraindroppings.blogspot.com. I love that. <laughs> and then my um, my podcast is abductioawareness.podbean.com. Oh, okay. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all those other fun places. So. All right. And uh, thank you for joining me. We're definitely going to have to have you back. Sounds great, Soraya. It's been a pleasure.
Really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. I want to give a big thank you here to everyone who supports this show by becoming a Patreon. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Billuminati, Greg Ross, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Matthew Sproul, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Chris, Chris Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., Empty K., Eric Todd, History and Coffee, J. J. Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Seed Person One, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhardt, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT, Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much for helping make this show possible. There's a Patreon segment uh, to go along with this. Suzanne and I talked for a little while about stuff and definitely going to have her back. She's had so many interesting experiences and has such a great open mind to this type of stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. So, yeah, like I said, there's a Patreon, and she'll be back, maybe in a roundtable format. Um, I want to thank some new patrons this week. Eric Todd, The Squonk Effer 5000, Lisa Yu, Bruce Two, and L. So thank you all for uh, supporting the show, and I hope you enjoy the extra content. All right, um, so to take you out tonight we're going to go with a rochester-based band called mantra they're kind of droney um doomy maybe i don't i'm not really sure how to qualify them this is actually a live recording from our performance studio for the last eggs of the loss from back in september and uh they do sort of an instrumental opening called natural oasis and then go into a song called starzum i don't think they actually have anything out yet but you can check out that video at thelastexit.org if you look on our YouTube channel, our performance YouTube channel, if you like it. Um, and they, they don't have a Facebook page either. So, yeah, that's uh, it's cool, but they're not out there quite yet. Uh, they did four songs for us. You're basically hearing two of them right now. So, yeah, mantra. And uh, I will see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.